I think someone was playing with my table. It's gotten a little wobbly. I'll have to tighten that up later. <laughs> Stay. <laughs> well, Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for charging this atmosphere with your goodness and your love. And as we were singing, we make room for you, Lord. We make room for you in our lives. We open up the doors and say, what would you like to do, God? Well, where would you have us to go? Where should our be? We make room for that. And Holy Spirit, continue today to, to open up the word and look at what it says about you. We just make room, Holy Spirit, for you to flow. You said that you lead us into truth. You, you remind us of things. You, you lead us into the of truth. You show us things to come. And you also lead us into that place of peace. But Jesus, you said, my peace I leave you, not as the world leaves, but my peace I give you. And so right now we just thank you for your peace, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, how is everybody doing? Good to see all your smiling faces today. We're going to continue on in our series that we've been working on now for 13, 14 weeks on the Holy Spirit. And I think this now holds the record for the longest series that I've done. I think before it was set at like I did 10 weeks on faith, but now we're in 13, 14 weeks on the Holy Spirit, and there's just so much to talk about with them. We're not talking about a sub we're talking about a person of the Godhead. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, and so we should make much about him. We should know lots about him. We should know what the Bible has said he will be doing and what our expectation should be. And so we're, we're really deep into this series, and whenever you get this far, it's kind of like things that you can forget, but there is. You can go to wordchurch.ca, click on current messages, and they're all right there for your refreshment. So if you haven't heard some of them or you missed some, and I say something that you're like, oh, I don't remember him saying that before. Well, you can go back and look. It's, it's there for your benefit. And so last week, we started on a subsection of this series, and I was calling it, What's Up With Tongues? And this is a subject that we need to talk about because, by and large, it gets ignored. There's confusion and like, oh, well, you know, we'll just not talk about it, or we'll, just, we'll only do that in the back rooms of churches, or, you know, we, we, uh, we, we don't really understand what he's talking about, so we'll just ignore it. But there's so much that the Bible does say, and so this is kind of like the third week when we've been talking about things like that and we talked about how it's the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit how all the times that we see when someone received the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts it also came with the ability to speak in other tongues when we look at Cornelius's household they spoke with other tongues and they met God when we look at Paul uh, praying for the believers at Ephesus they received the Holy Spirit they spoke with other tongues and they began to prophesy we all know that the the disciples 120 on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak with other tongues. And so we can't just ignore this topic because of how it may have been abused in certain areas uh, or how uh, maybe there's a lack of understanding. If you don't understand something, you can always learn. There's always the ability for you to dig into any topic and be like, okay, what does it say and what doesn't it say? And so we mentioned 1 Corinthians 14, 1 last week. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And that is a great statement. In everything, you should be pursuing love. 
Because God is love. And so in any topic, God and his love should be at the center of it. And it says, and desire spiritual gifts. So it's not one or the other, it's and, it's both. You can pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And that word for gifts there is in italics, which means that it was added by the translators for ease of understanding. And so really it says, and desire spirituals, or desire spiritual things, or desire the moving of the Spirit, which is a gift to you. So gift, it's not that it's out of place, but Paul is saying, desire the things of the Spirit. And he's saying, desire it. He didn't say, be weary of it, or he didn't say, ignore it. He said, desire it. So what does he mean when he says desire? Well, that word can be used in a negative fashion to mean to boil over with anger or boil over with hatred. And uh, looks like I got anger in there twice. Great proof. <laughs> but it, on the negative sense, it means to boil over. You ever boil over with anger at something? It's like, I just can't take it anymore. How can you do that? How can you say that? Or maybe it's the kids. Would you f- just clean up your toys already? I've told you 40 times already this morning. We know what it's like to boil over, right? It almost means to lose control. It, it's, an, it's, it's not a, 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 a laid back thing. It's a very active and so on the, on the positive side of it, because I believe Paul's using this in a positive fashion, not in the negative, it means to be zealous in the pursuit of, or to busy oneself about. So he says, pursue love and be zealous in your pursuit of the things of the Spirit. Again, these are not passive words being used they're very active just like we talked about last week with the two different avenues that we get the choice to walk he says there's those who set their minds on the things of this world and they reap death and misery and there's those that set their minds on the things of the spirit and they reap life and peace and you can't receive life and peace by walking in the world's way Just as you will not be receiving misery and death when you're walking in the spirit way. And he says set or choose to focus on. So those are very active words. And so when we talk about the things of the Holy Spirit, there is an active pursuit. And why do I like to point that out? Because with much of the things of the Spirit, there's a I'll wait and see type mentality in the body of Christ. Well, if the Holy Spirit wants to, he can just make me do it. He will never do anything in you that you are not an active participant in. He's not an abuser. He doesn't force you to do things. He takes hold with us, which means that we work together him and us, both as active participants. So Paul says, be active in your pursuit of, be zealous of those things. And in chapter 12, like really this whole conversation that we're going to talk about today in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians starts back in chapter 12 where Paul says, you know, uh, now concerning the things of the Spirit, I don't want you ignorant. But the end of the first chapter, he says this. He says, earnestly, earnestly again is one of those active words, earnestly desire the best gifts. 
And when we talk about, well, what are the best gifts, it's not about elevating prophecy over faith or elevating the word of knowledge over um, discerning of spirits. He's not talking about that in would one's better than the other. You want to know what the best gift is? The one needed in that moment. And so when he says desire the best gift, he's saying seek after the one that will be beneficial in the moment that you're actually standing in. He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So he says you should have a pursuit of the things of the Spirit. There should be a desire within you for it. He said, I'm going to show you an easy way to get them to flow. He goes and he says in next chapter 13, verse 1, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So he's talking about natural languages and heavenly languages. But I have not love. I've become as a sounding brass or as a clanging, spirit, clanging cymbal. And so when it comes to the thing spirit, when you're flowing in a motivation of God's love, the gifts of the spirit just flow naturally. Because as much as he loves you, he loves those around you. And whatever you open yourself up and say, God, how can I bless others? How can I lift others up? It has an open avenue for the gifts of the Spirit to begin to flow through you to those around you. And so love always opens the door to the things of the Spirit. You ever notice that's why Jesus was always moved with compassion, which is another way of saying he was overflowed with love, and then miracles began to happen. Because he allowed himself to be moved by love. The next verse says, Though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And so in chapter 1, he's talking about tongues, but in chapter or verse 2, he's talking about all the other gifts of the Spirit, whether it be prophecy or whether it be the word of knowledge or, or whether it be faith. He says, if you don't have love, I'm nothing. And then he even takes it one step further in the next verse. He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. And so here in verse 3, he takes it and puts it into the natural things. Because some people are like, oh, I don't need those things, the gifts of the Spirit. I don't need those things. All I just need to do is be a good person and do good things to those other around us. He says, but if that doesn't come out of a motivation of love, it's just as pointless as the rest. And then if we drop down to verse 8, he goes on to talk about love through it in the verses before it. But he says, love never fails. But whether there is prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease or they will stop. Or whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Now I wanted to start here in this spot this morning because there's an idea within Christianity that, yes, we saw in the books of the book of Acts they used to speak, but that season has ended. And they always point to this verse as their proof for how, why it's ended. It says God said himself that prophecies will fail and that tongues will cease. But then what about knowledge? It says knowledge will, knowledge will vanish away. In the day that we live in, has knowledge stopped? 
No, you still have the ability to learn stuff, right? You're learning stuff every day. We send our kids to school to, to gain knowledge about the things of this earth. And so when we look at it, people will say, well, yeah, prophecy may or may not be, still be happening. Oh, but those tongues things, they have stopped, just like Paul said. Well, why, why would three still be working but, but not the other one? Well, if we would just read the next verses in context, we would get a little more understanding. He says that right now, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So he's saying, when things are perfect, then we won't need these gifts. Look at the world around you. Answer this question honestly. Has perfect come? Jesus is not standing on this earth. He has not returned yet. Heaven has not relocated. The new earth has not been created. So has the perfect come? No. Which means prophecy is still happening. Tongues have not ceased. And knowledge has not vanished away. And so if we jump back to where the conversation started here in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual things, gifts again is italis, is added by the translators. Now concerning things of the Spirit or the moving of the Spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand what happens, how it happens, what its purpose is for, what place it should have in your life. I do not want you to be ignorant. So then why, by and large, in the body of Christ today are so many people have no idea where these fit or believe that they have ended? Paul's admonition to us was, you need to know. Now, there's two different types of ignorance. There's, there's ignorance that is based out of, I just don't know yet. And then the second type of ignorance is, I have chosen to ignore it. Those are two different types. Based upon what you've learned in your life, and the other is an active choice to say, I don't want those things. I don't want to talk about them. I just don't understand. And I would say much of the body of Christ falls into that category. They're just like, nope, nope, this is not what we're going to talk about today. It's just, it gets too icky and muddy when we talk about it. That's because we've got to keep things in context. The next verse, though, is pretty interesting. He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. And that's interesting because if you think about it, think about uh, Acts chapter 8. We talked about Philip going down to Samaria. Who did we see in that story? We saw Simon the sorcerer, who he, he amazed the people of Samaria with his little parlor tricks. And, you know, they thought he was something great. But when the Holy Spirit and they saw the real power of God, the real power of the Spirit, they all turned away from Simon and went to Peter and John to receive the Holy Spirit. And so did Simon himself. He went and believed and he received himself. And so there's things that we, we've been led astray with in the past, but when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings illumination that guards against deception. And in this day, we need that. When so many people say, this is how it is. No, no, this is how it is. And the reality is probably both of them are lying to you. The Holy Spirit will lead you into what is true. We talked about that early on in the series in John chapter 14. 
He will lead you into truth. And so the Holy Spirit brings illumination that guards against deception. Very needed in the day that we live in. Okay, so in the time we have remaining today, I want to do something here. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, this is a very misunderstood chapter, and the reason why is because people like to pick one verse out here that supports their point, and then one point here that they think tears down the other's argument. But if you keep the Bible in its context, we get its proper function for us. And so we don't need to take one verse. Some verses can stand on their own, like God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a verse that can stand on its own. But for most of the Bible, you need to understand the context. And so today I would like to do something we don't do often. I want to go verse by verse through this chapter and break it down what he's actually talking about. Oh, don't sound so excited about that, guys. Come on. With, with understanding, it gives you the ability to walk in things that you may have missed out on. And so we'll start back in verse 1 again. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual things, but especially that you may prophesy. And so in the following chapter that we're going to read through, Paul is contrasting two things prophecy and speaking in other tongues and so starting off from the 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 get-go we have to understand he is writing to the church in in corinthians and they had a ton of problems they had a lot of flowing of the gifts of the spirit but they also had gotten off over the deep end in some areas and so paul's purpose in writing this letter to them is to bring balance and show them where their focus should be. And we see this earlier on where they have one guy who is sleeping with his stepmother, and he thinks it's a good thing, and he's actually proud and boasting. And Paul says, you guys got to stop boasting about that. That's not right. And so Paul is writing this chapter to bring balance to a church that is in excess. And so he says, I want you to desire spiritual gifts, but right now I want to put the focus on prophecy because it was something that they needed. And verse 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. And we talked about this last week with one of the benefits. Praying in other tongues is your direct line to God. And when you're speaking, you're not talking to men. You're talking to God. The Holy Spirit is praying through you in the perfect will of God. It's bypassing what you know and what you don't know. And it's praying out the perfect will of God. And so when we pray in tongues, we are not speaking to men, but to God. Verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So when we look at this chapter, most people are to use it as a thing to say we shouldn't speak with other tongues because Paul would rather have us prophesy. But when we look at these first two, three verses here in 1 Corinthians, he's contrasting two different directions. One It goes to God with praying in other tongues. The other is prophecy, and its focus is on men. 
And in verse 4 it says, For he who speaks in a tongue builds himself up or edifies himself or strengthens himself. And he who prophesies edifies or builds up or strengthens the church. So we have two different directions. One is focused to God. One is focused to to men. And one builds up you and the other builds up the church. How How many of us know that being built up is a good thing? And so to say that tongues is not for us when here it says it builds us up. It builds you up. When you're talking to God, but when we're together as a church, prophecy builds up the whole of the church, of us together. In verse 5, Paul says this, I wish you all, everyone say all, All. spoke with tongues. And so to say that Paul's telling us that we shouldn't do this, here he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that, and he tells us the reason why, that the church may receive edification. And so Paul is not saying don't do this. He's saying when you guys come together, there's a higher way that you should be using. And he says, but now brethren, if I come to you, Now, who's the focus of praying in tongues? God. What's the focus of of prophecy? To men. And so Paul is about to show you it used out of its place. He says, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, tongues are not for me to you, they're from me to God. And he says, what shall it profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, knowledge, or by prophesying, or by teaching? He's saying, how is it going to benefit you if you don't know what I'm talking about? Right now, if I were to get up and preach this message by speaking in tongues, you'd all be sitting here going, I have no idea what he's talking about, right? Because I'm speaking mysteries to God, not to you. And so that's why we don't come to church and we don't pray in tongues for the whole service because then we would not be edified or built up. He goes on in verse 7, he says, Even things without life, whether the flute or whether the harp, that when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an unsound, who will prepare for battle? Meaning if you don't know what's being said, it's of no benefit. It won't move you to action. He says, so likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, If I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And so Paul's saying, if we all pray in tongues at the same time, all the time, and nobody ever speaks in the language that we understand, we are not strengthened and built up. So Paul is not saying don't pray in tongues. He's saying use it in its place. And seek what is the best thing for that moment. Remember he said, earnestly desire the best gift. What is best in the moment? 
And so he says in verse 12, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts. He said in the chapter before that we should be zealous for them, right? And he's saying to the Corinthians, yeah, if anybody's zealous, it's you guys. He says, but let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So when we come together as a corporate body, the corporate body should be built up. And this speaks to a greater issue in the church. Do you realize that when we come to church, it's not just about you? Let's just be honest here for a moment. When we come to church, it's not just so that we can hear a message and we can feel better individually. When we come to church, we come to add our supply that only we can give and lift others up around us. And that's why in chapter 12, he said, you've all been placed into the body by the Spirit of God. You have a function. You have a place. There are no I do nothings in the body of Christ. When you come, you have a supply that only you can give. You may be able to speak something into the heart of another that I can't. And if you keep your gift to yourself, that other person then suffers. And if, put it in the other thing, if someone else keeps their gift to themselves, you suffer. And so when we come to the church, we need to get rid of our selfishness. I come so I can feel better. You realize you lift others up, they'll feel better, and you'll feel better. You know, I like to always say this, if you need encouragement... Find someone to encourage. Go ahead and sow that into their life. If you need joy, spread joy to those around you. If you need love, sow love into those around you. If you need finances, bless somebody else. Sow seed into the lives of those around you. And the reason why the church begins to get more flat and flat in this day is we come and we're like, oh, it's all about me. Though we sing the song, it's all about you, God. But in our hearts, we're like, I want to get to the restaurant. <laughs> you know, we're like, how quick can this be over? Pastor Jordan's pretty boring today. Oh, Jessica's screeching in that song. I don't want to hear it. Come on. We might as well be honest in the house of God, right? When we come together, it's not about me. It's about us. We lift each other up and we give our supply to those around you in a way that only you can do. And I can't do your part, you can't do my part. We all need to do our parts. And so he says, verse 13, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I love how Paul asks the question and then he goes on to answer them for us. It's kind of like, here's the te- Jessica as a teacher. Here's your test. Now let me give you the answers to it. Paul says, what is the conclusion then? So rather than drawing our own conclusion about it, let's let Paul tell us the answer. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding. What? I thought Paul said we weren't supposed to pray in other tongues. I will pray with the Spirit, and 
I will pray with my understanding. And he takes it a step further. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. When we're worshiping, worship isn't to those around you. It's to God. You can go ahead and sing out of your spirit and begin to pray, sing in other tongues to God because worship is not a time for your neighbor. It's a time for you to God. And isn't that the focus of praying in other tongues? We speak to God. Prophecy is to men. Tongues is to God. So you can sing out in the Spirit while we're worshiping. Oh, Lord, I will magnify you and I will lift you up. For there is none beside you, Lord. Day after day I will declare your name. Name, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. And so you can speak out of your spirit and you can speak out of your understanding. You can sing out of your spirit and you can sing out of your understanding. Paul doesn't say it has to be one or the other. He says both, but let it be done for edification of the church. He says, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at the giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say? For indeed, you did give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So when we just sing in the Spirit and we pray in the Spirit, you're giving thanks well, but those around you are none the wiser of what's going on. You know, if you think that in this context, uh, with the household of Cornelius, it said when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they spoke with other tongues and magnified God. They were giving thanks to God. They were blessing the name of God while speaking in other tongues. And so Paul's not saying don't do it, because in the next verse he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now let's qualify this statement. He's writing this to a church that is in excess. A church that's got things out of priority and out of, out of its purpose. And so he's saying, in everything that you do, I'm still thankful that I do it more than all of you put together. Next verse, so he says, yet in the church... I would rather speak with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so when was Paul praying in tongues more than them all? When it was him and God. Well, he's walking from city to city. What was he doing? He was building himself up. He was building himself up in his most holy faith, as Jude said. He was bringing rest to his body, as Isaiah said. You know, he was praying in other tongues. Well, it was him and God, because tongues are to God. And so he says, 20, brethren, don't be children in your understanding. What is he saying? It's like, it's not this or it's not this. It's generally in between somewhere. He says, if you're going to be ch childs about something, let it be about malice or anger. As in, walk away from it. He talked about pursue love, right? Yeah. You don't pursue anger. You don't pursue hatred. We don't tear people down. If you're going to be a baby about something, let it be about love. Go ahead and just give all the love you got. He says, but in understanding, be, be mature. He goes on in verse 22. We'll jump ahead a bit here. He says, therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. 
But prophesying is not for unbelievers. It's for those who believe. And this verse confused me for a long time because I've had people say, well, what place does tongues actually have? And I say it's for the believer. And they're like, no, the Bible says it's for unbelievers. And that's because this verse is often misinterpreted. He's not saying that tongues are for unbelievers. They're actually for believers. If the definition of the word sign is an unusual occurrence. So it says, therefore, tongues are an unusual occurrence, not for those who believe, meaning for believers, tongues should not be an unusual occurrence. But for unbelievers, it is an unusual occurrence. And the next verse it says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and we all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed or believers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? And if you keep these 22 and 23 in context, you know that tongues are not for unbelievers. Because here in 23 it says, if they hear you doing it, they're going to say you're nuts. So it can't be for them. It's just an unusual occurrence. They're going to be like, what the heck is going on? But for believers, that shouldn't be the case. It should be something that we know, we do, we practice. It's for us to be able to get beyond your head and speak directly to God in the perfect will of God. Verse 24 says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So there again we see that prophecy is of more value when you have uninformed and unbelievers coming into the church. There's a time where we can come together and pray in the spirit when our focus is to God, but when it comes to our teaching and there's those who don't know, it's better that we speak to them in words that they understand. And that's the balance that Paul is trying to strike here in 1 Corinthians 14. There's a time to do things that bless you. There's a time to do things that bless others. In the church, we come together as a whole. When you're, it's you and God or it's you and other believers and the focus is God, go ahead and pray in tongues. Speak out of your spirit. Go ahead and bless well. In, as he says, you do bless well indeed. Go ahead and magnify God. Go ahead and prophesy. Go ahead and pray and believe that you can interpret back because the Holy Spirit will allow you to have that ability sometimes where it's like you can be just praying in other tongues and it's all of a sudden you know what you're praying about and you know now what you need to say in English but when you started you didn't you're like as in Romans 8 says when you don't know how to pray for as you ought the Holy Spirit makes prayers through you with utterances that just are hard to understand and so the whole purpose of 1 Corinthians 14 is this. When Paul gets down here, he's talking about order in church meetings. And you know, there's different types of church meetings. There's open meetings where unbelievers may be coming in and uninformed may be coming in. There's also believers meetings where the focus is us to God. You just need to know what's the purpose of this meeting? Who, what is the setting? Who is here to listen to this? What is appropriate and what is the best gift to be used in this setting? 
And so Paul is talking about order in the church. And so in verse 26 he says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm or a song? Each of you has a teaching. Each of you has a tongue. Each of you has a revelation. Each of you has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification or the building up of the church. And so here we see what Paul's really getting at. He's like, guys, you all can contribute, but go with what is necessary. And that's why God puts order in the church. That's why he gives leadership in the church, to keep things decently and in order and the focus put where it needs to be. And so he goes on in verse 27 to give them a good uh, uh, structure to follow. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be by at most two or by three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. So you can speak out in tongues, and when we're in this church setting, you should pray that you will interpret. But the next verse says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if you want to pray out in tongues, you can go ahead and do that when it's between you and God. But when it's in the church service setting, you pray that you will interpret. And if there's no interpreter present, keep silent. Now here in this church, if you speak out in tongues by the inspiration of God, I can interpret it. I would always know when one is coming up. Pastor Robin, long before he says it, he's like, I got a word to say. And I'm like, yep, I already know. Why? Because God put leadership in the church to keep things decently and in order. Why am I saying this is I want you guys to grow in the things of the Spirit. I want you to have the freedom to feel like you can step out because God doesn't just want to use me. He wants to use you as well. And so when you are inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can speak out. And Pastor Wendy will interpret, or I'll interpret, or somebody else will have the interpretation. And if it's not of God, I'll address it and be like, no, there'll be a time for that later, and that's okay. We all miss it sometimes. We don't get it perfect in every time, but it's better to learn to step out and miss it than to never step out and never walk in the things of the Spirit. Now, this is not just a structure he put in place for speaking in other tongues. If the emphasis of this chapter is solely prophecy, which it's not, he puts puts structure on them as well. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. We should all be listening on the inside when someone says something in the Holy Spirit, as I said, he's the great illuminator, a deception. You should know on the inside whether it's right or not because we all have the same Holy Spirit. And so someone speaks out whether they're giving a prophecy, listen on the inside. It'll all be like, oh, that's not right. Or, yeah, that's right. And if it's right, go ahead and put your agreement and say, yeah, God, I believe. And so it says, let two or three speak and the others judge. And he says, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Meaning if I'm, if, if, if I'm ministering and it's my time as the leader of this church, the one that God has put in, if I'm giving ministry, it's not your time to step out. But there will be times for you to do it. He says, if something is revealed to another, let the first keep silent. 
Now, this next verse is very important. He says, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And in the same way, you can all flow in the gifts of the Spirit. You can all speak in tongues when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and pray that you may interpret so that you may learn and that we may be encouraged. But the next verse is really interesting. He says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is an important one to point out because I've had people in this church before in the past that are no longer here. They were just like, I just had to give it. I don't care if it was, if it was interrupting. I just had to give it. No, no, you didn't. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, meaning you can t- keep yourself quiet. You don't have to give it. And in the same way, you don't have to keep the lid on. When it's appropriate and when the, time, the Holy Spirit is moving, you can open up the can and say, God, here we go, and step out. And in the same way with praying in other tongues, we all say, well, I'll do it if the Holy Spirit makes me do it or if he so moves me. What did Paul said? He said, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with my understanding. I will sing in the Spirit and I will sing with my understanding. He will never force you to do anything. And so if you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to go, okay, it's time to do it, it's not going to happen. I'm just being honest. we got to teach plainly about these things. We shouldn't leave them as a mystery. If you're waiting for Him to make you do something, nothing's going to happen. But when you're going to walk with him, they always say that the first step is always in the flesh, and it's usually the flesh of fear. You're going, am I right? Am I wrong? And then as you step out and you do it, the Holy Spirit takes hold with you, and you're like, wow, why was I so afraid about that to begin with? And we begin to become more comfortable flowing in the things of the Spirit. Now, next week, we're going to get into the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of why Paul is writing this chapter is he says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So he's saying, this is not just to you, Corinthians. Though you've got some issues, we're going to iron them out. This is for all the churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And if we drop down to verse 37, he says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or to be spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. I think that's interesting. Paul's saying this is not open for negotiation. You don't get to put your own interpretation on this. This is how it is. Acknowledge it, that it's from the Lord. And he says, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. And I think that really falls into the category of, we talked about two categories of ignorance. That's the ignoring it. If someone wants to say, I don't believe it, I don't want it, let them stay in that position. Because it's not your job to moderate the lives of other people. It's your job to open it to the things of God. And so it doesn't matter what other people have said. It doesn't matter what their perspective is. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and what he's written in his word to us. And so he says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. And so to take the interpretation that people shouldn't do it 
is to take this entire chapter out of its context. He said, I wish you all spoke with tongues. He said, I do it more than all of you put together. And he said, do not forbid to speak with tongues. I remember a number of years ago we were in a service and someone was preaching on this chapter and came to that conclusion that you should never do this of the devil. It's just not proper. It's not right. And I remember Pastor Robin leaning over to me and showing that scripture. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. It's something that is for you as a believer when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Three of the four times that we see someone being filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they speak with other tongues. In the fourth time, which is when Philip was with the Samarians, Samaritans, they, it's not mentioned, but it says that Simon saw something. There was a reaction. And so when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't fill you to stay as you've always been. If you are the same as you were when you were an unbeliever, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, man, that's not the Holy Spirit. It said that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But he says, let all things be done decently and in order. Keep things in its place and in its order. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Pastor Jordan, life kind of sucks right now. You know, maybe you're watching online via the internet and you're like, man, my life has fallen apart. What, what do I do? Jesus is your only answer. The Holy Spirit is the great one that transforms your life. And so if you want to receive Jesus, it, maybe you're saying, I used to, but I feel like I've walked away. You know what? He didn't walk away from you. All it takes is turning back and saying, Jesus, I let you have free reign in my life. Jesus, I receive you into my life. I ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I receive that gift that you've given to me. Whatever's going on in my life, I thank you, Jesus. You lead me into the answers that I need. You show me where my focus should be. I, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I want that gift that you've given. I want that power that you said would come upon me. I want to get things sorted out, and I don't want to do it on my own. So I take hold with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Guys, I, there's just such a burning in my heart for Christians today whose their lives are just so feeling so broken. That's not what we've been called to. The Holy Spirit wants to wrap His arms around us. He wants to strengthen us in ways that we could never do on our own. We can go so far, and then when the Holy Spirit takes hold with us, He'll get us to places we never thought would be today if you need prayer for any area in anything whether you want to receive Jesus you want to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit you want someone to lay hands on you you because you're sick you need someone to stand with you and believe for anything some of our care team is going to be up at the front in the morning in a moment to be able to pray with you just come we shouldn't come to church and leave with the same baggage that we walked in the door we come we lay it down at Jesus' feet and said I wasn't meant to carry it you take it he says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen? Well, it's offering time. And if you would like to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give. Or there's a basket at the back and there's an envelope in the seat in front of you. Whatever you choose to do, we just say thank you, thank you for partnering together with us. And God, 
We thank you for this upcoming week. We ask for your guidance and your wisdom. And we receive it liberally right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are all blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you.